This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's up? Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 20. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Drums, please! But yes, it is summertime. And that's reason to be happy. Summer is fully here. But sadly, it's almost gone. We only have a few weeks left. And I, for one, want to milk it. I want more sunshine, more swimming, more family time, more summer drinks, more time outside. Before we know it, school will be back in session. It'll start getting cold again, and Halloween candy will be hitting the shelves, which may present a great new alternative to the peeps question we ask our guests. But it's the dog days of summer in America, and lots is happening we need to get into. And later this episode, I'm taking it to the streets of D.C. for a different kind of guest. Two of them, actually. I've told you I don't want this show to be only about the voices of famous people or politicians or celebrities. I want it to be a voice of the people. So we'll talk to all kinds of people from all backgrounds. People who, despite their very different backgrounds, are always iconic, inspiring, and or important. And that's true this week especially. I went out into the streets of D.C. recently to talk to some people you rarely hear from in the media. Homeless people. People who are spending their summer outside, but not by choice. I went to Franklin Park in Washington, D.C., just blocks away from the White House. I sat on a bench, and I tried to talk to people about what they think, what they feel, and what they're angry about. It's interesting. It's inspiring. It's entertaining, one guy especially. And it's important. So stick around for that. And stick around for some ways you can turn your righteous anger into some positive impact. I've also got some very special thank yous for some very special people who continue to help this show grow and expand. Like a Coke bottle in the summer heat. More on that in a second. But it's been a rough summer in politics and news, filled with drama, tension, and pain. From the presidential debates, to the rise of racial tensions, to the daily stupidity of our president, to the measles and scooter invasions, to the shootings in El Paso and Dayton. It's been a rough summer. But it's also been a summer filled with inspiration. Victories by our Women's World Cup team and by our 9-11 first responders. People are standing up in the face of adversity. 
like the brave protesters in Hong Kong and Moscow are right now. And like our guest in the last episode, 19-year-old J.T. Lewis. There's been plenty of inspiration and hope this summer, and maybe most of all, perspective. So many of you have reached out to tell me you were moved by our last episode especially on mass shootings, guns, racism, and all the other shit that's been packed into our country and shaken up like when you Southerners pack peanuts into a Coke bottle. Yeah, that's what America's been like this summer. A giant Coke bottle. Sometimes it's cold and refreshing. Yeah, sometimes it's peanuts packed into a Coke, waiting to be opened into some surprisingly tasty goodness. But sometimes it's not so fun or delicious. Sometimes it's been sitting in the sun all day. And sometimes somebody throws an Alka-Seltzer in it or a Mentos, and that ain't so tasty. Too often, this summer in America is the big-ass bottle of Coke. And Trump is the troubled kid who keeps stupidly shoving shit into it and shaking it up, not knowing what's going to happen. And too often, he's like the kid who keeps shoving more and more Alka-Seltzers and graduating past Alka-Seltzers and Mentos and picking up some fireworks and shoving a few M80s in the bottle too, just to see what crazy shit will happen. Often, even hoping it'll blow up and shoot everywhere, not caring two shits about what it does to the carpet, the driveway, or the face of your little brother, or the dog, or the neighbor kid, or anyone else in the blast radius. We're videotaping an experiment that we're conducting conducting with a cheap cola from Dollar General and some Alka-Seltzer. Try not to lean so far over it so it doesn't blow up in your faces. Here we go. Don't lean over it so much. (laughs) (laughs) It shoots all over the place and makes a huge mess. Or it explodes in your face. That's what this kid does. That kid we all know. He's turning a refreshing Coke into a rocket of stickiness and nastiness and messiness that only the ants will like. That kid just keeps shoving stuff inside to see what bad stuff happens. And that kid, the same kid, is also feeding Alka-Seltzer to a seagull or to a pigeon just to see what damage it does. Now, there is apparently some legitimate debate in the world about whether or not Alka-Seltzer will actually kill a bird. I looked it up on the internet. Turns out, like America, the stomach of a bird is actually more resilient than we may have thought. Making birds eat Alka-Seltzer may not actually kill them. But either way, it's definitely not good for them. And it's something the mean kid does. The troubled kid. The insecure kid. And far too often, that's our president. He's like that mean kid from a Christmas story. Remember him? Fargus? The nasty bully kid with the raccoon skin hat and the freckles? Listen, jerk. When I tell you to come... You better come. What, are you going to cry now? Come on, cry, baby. Cry for me. Come on. Cry. (laughs) Yeah, Fargus from The Christmas Story. That's what Trump is like. Or that mean kid Sid from Toy Story. You know Sid, the asshole kid who blows up Combat Carl and all kinds of other innocent toys. That's him. 
hopefully, in the end, Trump will get his. Just like Sid and Fargus did in the end. There are plenty of Ralphies fighting back in ways big and small. Plenty of Buzz Lightyears and Woodies trying to be the helpers. Whether it's the belly of a bird or a Coke bottle or the powder keg that is the often divided, sometimes scared, usually irritated American population of roughly 327 million people who live within our borders, it's never a good idea to drop something explosive inside a closed container and shake it up. But that's what Trump keeps doing almost every single day to our giant Coke bottle of a country. And that's what our summer has been like, the summer of 2019. On the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, the 50th anniversary of the 1969 Summer of Love, we're having the summer of stress and chaos. Maybe the most stressful and chaotic summer in America since that summer of 69. It's been a crazy summer, a stressful summer, an unpredictable summer. And from the White House and this president, it's also been a cruel summer. And this week was no exception. There was plenty happening that you should care about, know about, and be concerned about. America is still reeling after the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton. Trump went to El Paso and Dayton, and that didn't go well. In El Paso, one of the lowest points of this administration happened. Days after the shooting, two-month-old baby Paul Enchato was brought back into the hospital to meet with Trump and Melania after the child had been discharged. The two-month-old's parents, Jordan and Andre Enchato, died protecting him in the El Paso shooting. I covered it in the last episode. But if you've seen this photo, you understand. It's in the front of a step and repeat for the University Medical Center of El Paso, which means it's set up to be a stage photo. Melania is holding the baby, who's all dressed up in a little red bow tie. The baby's looking off to the side. His face literally looks like he's looking to the side for someone to explain to him what the fuck is happening. And Trump is next to them, smiling and giving a big thumbs up. Like everything is just awesome. Like they're at a party or on the red carpet at some kind of award show. It was just gross on so many levels. And it makes me angrier than almost anything else I've seen since he's been elected. Because it's so out of touch. It's so disrespectful to the parents, to all the people who died in El Paso, and especially to that baby. He didn't get a vote. His parents were just killed. His mother died on top of him. And he gets shoved into a little suit, pushed under the bright hot lights, and held up like a prop at a pep rally. It's disgusting. And it's infuriating. But despite these political shenanigans, baby Paul's parents, Jordan and Andre, were heroes of the greatest magnitude. And I told their story last week on this show. When times are tough, we can look for the helpers like them. Always look for the helpers. The helpers who are springing into action right now. Our first responders in uniform who continue to stand on the front lines of America and answer the call. 
because as I'm recording this, there's been another violent shooting incident, this time in Philadelphia. And this time, at least six officers have been shot. The standoff's been going on for hours, underscoring that our gun and violence problem is ongoing. It's nationwide. And now it's almost daily. Now, there also may be some bipartisan solutions finally coming forward to include red flag laws and background checks and maybe, just maybe, an assault weapons ban. After these mass shootings, the divisive politics of gun control were totally in flux, and Trump has been actually exploring whether expanded background checks might be possible. And Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican majority leader, not my favorite guy, has signaled he would be at least open to considering the idea. Now, it's probably only a matter of time before Trump blows it up and somehow makes it worse. He can't help himself. To underscore how Trump is like Fargus from A Christmas Story, in the wake of El Paso and Dayton, he dropped another Alka-Seltzer in the Coke bottle of America. Under his direction, ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency of the U.S. government, stormed into Mississippi this week arresting 680 undocumented workers in a record-setting immigration sweep. It happened on the first day of school. On the first day of school, 680 people were swept up at several plants in Mississippi on the kids' first day of school. Many kids were just left crying and without any caretakers. They had no idea where their parents were. A local gym opened its doors to the kids for a place to stay while they just tried to find their parents. 300 of these people have been released, but that means over 300 more are still being held as this community struggles just to care for its kids. And federal authorities won't even comment on whether or not they're charging the owners of the businesses who employ these people. Now, I wasn't going to play this, but I think the audio is powerful and important, and attention must be paid. <laughs> Governments, please put your heart. Let my Listen to her. That's 11-year-old Magdalena Gomez Gregorio, whose father was detained in the raids of Mississippi. If that doesn't make you angry, you're not paying attention. Because that's what's happening in America right now. Also happening in America right now, another veteran has died by suicide in a VA parking lot. This time outside of the Charles George VA Medical Center in Asheville, North Carolina. Multiple veterans have died by suicide at VA facilities this year, including three suicides in five days in April, two in Georgia and one in Texas. This wave of suicides finally caught the attention of Congress. And just hours before lawmakers held a hearing back in April about the tragedies, another veteran died by suicide in a VA campus in Cleveland. 19 suicides occurred on VA property between October 2017 and November 2018. That's according to VA data obtained by the Washington Post. This is a serious problem, and it needs attention from the highest levels. And if you're struggling and need help or know somebody who is, reach out to Veterans Crisis Line at veteranscrisis.net, or you can call 1-800-273-8255, or you can text 838-255. Most of all, No, you're not alone. This is an issue that continues to be below the radar, but I'm going to continue to cover, and I hope you'll continue to follow. Now, there's more toxic overflow happening in America, also below the radar, 
more turmoil in the Trump administration as the number two intelligence official stepped down. You probably didn't see this, but Trump abruptly decided to install Joseph McGuire, the director of the National Counterterrorism Center, as the acting director of national intelligence after Dan Coats steps down from the post this month. Now, Trump announced his decision to elevate McGuire, who is a retired admiral who once led the Navy Special Warfare Command, on Twitter shortly after confirming that Sue Gordon, the nation's number two intelligence official, who had by law been in line to take over as director, would instead depart with Coates on August 15th. That means Gordon walked. Ms. Gordon, who served more than 30 years in different intelligence posts at the CIA and other agencies, told Trump about her decision to retire in a letter last week after it became clear he was not going to permit her to rise to the position of acting director. The White House actually released this note from Deputy DNI Sue Gordon, who is a beloved 30-year veteran, respected on both sides of the aisle, and this is what her letter said. Mr. President, I offer this letter as an act of respect and patriotism, not preference. You should have your team. Godspeed, Sue. It was a handwritten letter left for the president. And what it was, was another warning flare for America from another angry American to the rest of us. Sue Gordon follows Dan Coats, General Mattis, and more people than we can count at this point. Most, if not all, of the good leaders are now gone from the top of our government. And what's left, the people who are left, are not just weak and unimpressive, they're dangerous. If you needed a bit more reason to be pissed off about the shitty leadership and bad policies that are typical of this administration, USCIS Director Ken Cuccinelli gave us a whole new reason this week. Now, check it out. USCIS is the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services. USCIS. It's a component of the United States Homeland Security Department, right? And the Trump administration announced a new regulation this week, again, aimed at immigrants. And it's actually less popular than preseason NFL football and measles and electric scooters combined. And far more stupid. Under this rule, immigrants who receive public benefits like Medicaid, food stamps, or housing assistance will have a much tougher time being granted green cards and visa applications. And the change is expected to impact over 380,000 people. Poor people. Cuccinelli responded to the backlash by stating that the government fully expects immigrants to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. Cuccinelli made headlines after he provided an altered version of the poem, The New Colossus, in defense of this new change. Now, The New Colossus is on the Statue of Liberty. Okay, check it out. A line from the original poem reads, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. We all know it, right? Well, this is what Cuccinelli said on NPR this week. Give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. That that plaque was put on the Statue of Liberty at almost the same time as the first public charge law was passed. Very interesting timing. Cuccinelli doubled down in the statement during an appearance on CNN, stating that the Statue of Liberty poem was, quote, referring back to people coming from Europe. Well, of course, that poem was referring back to people coming from Europe where they had class-based societies, where people were considered wretched if they weren't in the right class. And it was introduced, it was written one year, one year after 
the first federal public charge rule was written that says, and I'll quote it, any person unable to take care of himself without becoming a public charge, unquote, would be inadmissible. Or in the terms that my agency deals with, uh, they can't do what's called adjusting status, getting a green card, becoming legal permanent residents. His response is shameful and un-American. He should just resign now. He doesn't represent the values we should be communicating to the world. It's ridiculous. This new policy is ridiculous and it's un-American and it unfairly targets low-income migrants. Like my grandfather, who came here when he was 17 years old, before he would later serve in the U.S. Army in World War II in the South Pacific for three years and work in government service for 40 years. That's the kind of person this would target. It's just the latest example of the Trump administration's attacks on brown and black and poor immigrants. Apparently, they think the Statue of Liberty only applies to Europeans and only to white people, unless maybe you're ASAP Rocky or Diamond and Silk. But they consistently send messages and create policies that favor white people and discriminate against all others. And every week, it's a whole new level. This week, they want to rewrite what's on the Statue of Liberty. Think about that. It's like a scene from The Handmaid's Tale. It's wrong, and on some levels, it's terrifying, especially if you're not white. General Martin Dempsey responded. If you don't know Dempsey, he's the 18th chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He's an awesome voice of reason, a fantastic person to follow on Twitter, and the best kind of angry American. And he responded on Twitter. He wrote, remember, the dash is the source of our strength as a nation of our grit, determination, innovation, knowledge, faith, hope, tolerance, and compassion. Blank dash American. Fill it in because that's who we are. Unique among other nations. Hashtag leadership. He's saying that hyphenated Americans are what make Americans, that immigrants make Americans, that we must support them, we must tolerate them, we must help them. Maybe USCIS Director Cuccinelli can be replaced by General Dempsey. Dempsey actually understands what America is really all about. But maybe that's why he won't work for this president. But he'll continue to powerfully troll him on Twitter and send up more of those flares that we need. The hashtag Cuccinelli Resign has topped Twitter, and with good reason. Because thoughtful Americans are angry. Because we're paying attention. And... Even Congress is paying attention. Believe it or not, Congress is actually paying attention. Thanks to all this madness, impeachment is gaining steam. The country is more and more supportive of impeachment. And the politicians, as always, are not leading, but following. As I've said it often, Americans are not stupid. They may be slow sometimes, but they're not stupid. And slowly, day by day, week by week, more and more Americans are understanding what's happening. More Americans are doing the homework that I recommended and reading the Mueller report. And more than half of Democrats now back impeachment. The House number supporting is now at 122. That's now the majority of the Democrats in the House. Jerry Nadler is pressing ahead with the impeachment probe, and Pelosi is actually keeping the door open. 
She's kind of shifted her tone over impeachment over the last couple weeks. And aides are saying she's greenlit the language in the House lawsuits that contend the committee is considering voting on whether or not to impeach the president. But it's up to 122 in the House, 120 Democrats if you're counting, and just one Republican, Justin Amash from Michigan, that one Republican so far. In the Senate, the number three Senate Democrat, Patty Murray of Washington, has also thrown her considerable political weight behind the impeachment. She joined the Washington State House Democrats in a pretty surprising statement. And she was followed by the number four Senate Democrat, Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, including Murray and Stabenow. Now, 12 of the 47 Senate Democrats have endorsed impeachment proceedings, including six of the senators who are running for president. Support for impeachment is growing across the country and in Congress. And with all this turmoil, America's weakened. I've warned over and over again, our enemies are watching. And the more and more America is divided and weakened, the more enemies are going to test us. China, Russia, North Korea, others. Our problems will create opportunities for those that want to do us harm. And they will continue to overflow into more places and into new places. And now that includes our economy. It was only a matter of time. And that time is now. The hot Coca-Cola, well, it's pouring and shooting out everywhere, including on our economy. I'm recording this on Wednesday, and the Dow dropped 800 points today. Wall Street suffered its single worst day of the year. It was a total market sell-off in response to a yield curve inversion in government bonds and triggered by ongoing geopolitical turmoil and sluggish economic growth worldwide. But it was a really, really bad week for the stock market. So maybe before this week, you somehow still weren't angry about the state of affairs in America and how this president and his crew are wreaking havoc nationwide and worldwide. Well, check your 401k, Gordon Gecko, if you still have one, because it's getting blasted like Combat Carl in Toy Story. But despite all this shit, there are still some Buzz Lightyears out there. There are still some helpers, some angry Americans that are turning that righteous anger into positive impact. Some helpers that are stepping up. There are helpers out there. You heard from young JT Lewis in the last episode. He lost his six-year-old brother, Jesse, at Sandy Hook. Jesse was a helper. JT Lewis is a helper. And there are others stepping up every single day. You never know who they might be. They might be someone you've never met. Or they might be Machete. I know what they did to your family. This is Machete. The helper might be Machete. Yes, Machete. The ultimate angry American. Actor Danny Trejo helped rescue a baby trapped in an overturned car after a collision at an L.A. intersection. Check this out. My car was stopped at the light. I just got out and ran over to the, and uh, there's a lady in the front seat that was pinned and she kept screaming, my baby, my baby. So I, I, I went to the back seat and me and some guy that was there pulled open the back door because he was stuck. And then uh, um, uh, I, I got, I crawled in the car and I'm trying to undo the seat belt. I want to tell you something. If that kid wouldn't have been in a car seat, it'd have been all over for him. That's Danny Trejo, Machete. Everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. Everything. 
And that's the way I live. And that's a good way for us all to live. In tough times, look for the helpers. They're out there, even in this summer of turmoil. JT Lewis is out there. Machete is out there. You're out there. And despite the difficulty of this summer, despite the cruelty of this administration, despite this Farkas president and all his toadies, we're going to keep on keeping on. We're going to still enjoy our summer. We're going to cut through the cruelty, the hate, the division, the anxiety. We're going to cut through it like machete. And in every episode and every day, we're bringing the four eyes. It's a sword of integrity, a flying combat axe of information, a throwing star of impact, and a machete of inspiration. It's the heat of summer, and it's hot out there. We're going to take it to those hot summer streets and get some perspective and some unity and some relief. Yeah, it's hot out there, but it's time again to bring some light to all that heat. It's summer in America, everybody. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 20. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's up, everybody? Paul Rykoff, Angry Americans, out on the streets again. I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm in Ben Franklin Park, Franklin Square, just blocks from the White House, uh, just blocks away, very small number of blocks away from Trump's hotel, one of Trump's many hotels. And I wanted to come out here because this is known for a place where homeless people hang out and, and spend time. So I really wanted to make sure that we take this show out into the streets and way out in the streets as far across this country as we can. So we're going to sit down with some people today and see if they've got issues that are on their mind and find out what they're angry about. Angry Americans Live from Franklin Square in Washington, D.C. I'm not Hollywood, but I would love to chat with you. Halloween, Hollywood. I can shut the camera off, too. No, yeah? Okay. Please. 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 Come on over. You mind sitting with me? You, excellent. Excellent. I have no gift cards. I only have the great conversation. That's what I have. I don't have a dollar, but I, but I will try to make you famous. You want to make you famous? I'll try. Like Amos? Better than Amos. The cookies. I know what you mean. Absolutely. My name is Paul. What's your my name is um, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And I'm sitting up here, Pinocchio, and you know I'm not. I'm not Frankenstein. Okay. I'm Frank. Okay. I'll right. be Frank. You be Frank today, and I'll be Frank tomorrow. All right. I'll be Frank. You okay. Frank, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a frank conversation. Yeah, and we're very friendly at that. Yes. Sir. So I have a show called Angry Americans, and I think that there's a lot to be angry about in America. I say if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Yes. And I did a show a couple weeks ago about how there's not enough public restrooms in America. 
and I'm trying to go out in the street and talk to people about all kinds of stuff. But here in the park, there's a lot of people who probably have something to say about what's going on yeah. in this country. So, exactly. so Frank, is there one issue that has you angry? Yes, that White House. That's an outhouse. We have an idiotic president. We got a Russian president, to be honest with you. Anytime your chief of staff calls you an idiot, and then your personal lawyer, and it's supposed to be lawyer and client privilege, you know, and he said, he's a bigot. And then the, the congressman said, you're just mad because you're fired. But everything, he said it in this um, last election, presidential election. What did he say? I'm going to watch, I'm going to turn it up. And he did, he's doing it. He's doing it. Now, when, in 1972, what did Richard Nixon say? He said, quote, I'm resigning the office of presidency at 12 o'clock noon. All of his men went down. Why he, what, what's going on with him? But he's there for a reason. What's the reason? Demonic. He's the devil. He's the devil. That's becoming an increasingly popular theory. Well, Senator Patrick Leahy said uh, that the White House is chaotic. Uh, we know that. So let's talk about this park. So they, they, they say they're going to invest $17 million to fix up this park. You're hanging out in this park. I don't know if you come to this park I've often. I've been in this nation's capital all my life. I'm 65 years of age. The park needs a renovation. And maybe out of that $15 billion that the mayor received from the president for the budget, because this is a federal city and this is a federal park, and 45% of the land occupancy belongs to the federal government, and the rest belongs to the citizenry. So you're not going to become a state because why? We're already in a state. You feel like D.C. should be a state? Uh, not at this time because the siege is over and the conspiracy is on. And then you look at the hill, then boys, sometimes they act just as radical as they do in the community. And, and that White House, I mean, I didn't know he, he fired Jess Sesson. And then, hey, wait a minute, Miss Tillerson, the Tillerson. I used to work where his daughter used to live. You worked for Tillerson's, no, where his daughter used to live? No. I don't want to get you in trouble. No, you ain't getting me in trouble. I ain't got nothing. My, my life is like an open book. So what do you, so is D.C. getting better or worse? Worse. Why? The Potomac River divides the north, I mean, the west and the east. The east is the poor. But we got Homeland Security over there. And then you got the west. That's where the National Park is. And that's where the slaves were brought down and, and the English fought. And as you look at all of the, the DMV, you have Prince George's, Prince Williams. All those counties are named after princes that were outcasts of England. And remember in 1492, what did Columbus say to the queen? No, the world is round and you give me three ships and I'll come back and I'll prove it to you. And when he came here to America, what did he do? The Indian said, how? And he said, yes, how do I steal your land? Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy and democracy. But you're like, you're like, you're, you're like uh, the mayor of this park no, or the, the historian of this city. I, I ran for mayor four times. You I did? For city council. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't complete this last uh, campaign because I was homeless. And if I had my own home, but they put me out. They killed my mother like they did King's mother. And um, it, it's sad. 
it's so, and the I, nation's capital. So I'm a I'm a veteran. I spent a lot of my oh, my yeah. time. And my father uh, was a veteran. Excellent, too. excellent. Okay. I spent a lot of my time working with homeless veterans. Yes. I spent a lot of time working with with homeless. How they're treating the veteran? But what do you, what's it like to be homeless in D.C. right now? It's like when you look at the homeless situation. It's the problem. You have nine thousand people who are homeless. All of them are not living in shelters. Some of them are in vacant homes, vacant cars, in the parks, and they're scattered around. And this is the nation's capital, and you would not believe that there's half homelessness here. We're here with the Bureau Engraving, the Treasury Department. We make all this money, and we can't do anything to solve our home situation. And that's, the, that, that's truly an obloquy. How do how, how do folks in this park get treated? We're like blocks away from the White House or blocks away from Trump's. How do people get treated here by the police, by, you know, local government? What's it like, you know, when well, the cameras yeah, aren't running? Well, you and people look at it this way. I mean, I mean, I may be in trouble for saying this, but it's the truth. And sometimes the truth do hurt. You have Klansmen in the fire department. You have Klansmen in the police department. And now the Klan has spread out, not only in the Klan in the... Caucasian community, also in the black community. They're clicking and clanning. And the drugs, what the president said, we have a new drug. And you're not dealing with the situation. I put it this way and make it very short and explicit and to the point. You're going to build a wall. Your wife needs to jump over there so she can test the wall and let everybody know how the wall works. And the president needs to jump over it too. Because what, he's Russian? You know, had too many Trumps. Mm-hmm. Then what, that little child there for the State of the Union. Mm-hmm. What Pelosi said, he's not trying to make America great again. He wants to make it white again. And then they put the bla- black homosexual on, on the, one of those, uh, what, I think it was Channel um, 4, NBC. Mm-hmm. He, they said, well, you said make America gay again. He said, yes. Mm-hmm. The president wanted to make it gray and I, great, and I want to make it gay. Mm-hmm. But gay in the dictionary means happy. But in the street terminology, it's like the hand is a flag. But uh, so when I look across this park, right, and we're sitting here, Frank, right, mm-hmm. most of this park, like when I first got here, almost everybody here was black. Almost everybody, except for me, the camera guy, maybe there's people who walk through. But most of the area around here, I see mostly white people. Yes, that's a, the, the demographic has changed. So, so for somebody who's listening from Nebraska or New Mexico, well, you know, what, what, what does this tell us about America? What does this tell us diversity. about... Diversity. Uh, if, if you have any money, come here. Because you, 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 you have um, discrimination amongst the poor and the rich. The politicians, it's like the big fish eat the little fish. And it's sad, but it's America. And, and you have the Africans in here. They do their little rituals and, and cultural, like uh, voodoo or whatever. You have the Southern people. This is a Southern town. We're all actually on the borderline. We're East. But we also like the borderline of the Mason-Dixon line. In Bowie uh, in Maryland, you have the Ku Klux Klan, the Grand Wizard. They live in Bowie, Maryland. And, I'll give you another uh, uh, exemplary of what I'm speaking on as I talk. The night that Trump won and the next morning in Montgomery County, the gentleman, he got up and he said, hell Trump, hell Trump. What that mean? Where were you the night Trump got elected? Were you here? I was looking at television and saw the results. 
It, it wasn't a shock. He said it, the election is rigged. He's right. That's how he got in there. It's rigged. And, and what? Rigged for him. No. You got to realize you have a lot of corporations. And then you have the Washington Post right there. Right across the street yeah. is the Washington Post. The black man discovered Watergate, Mr. Wells, and who got the, all the publicity? Bernstein. And then Catherine Graham, the owner of the Washington Post. When Barry got stung by the FBI and he went to Petersburg and got extended time because he was trying to get his his private parts, uh, I guess you said, like a blow pop. And they didn't let him out. But when he came out, he went to the high regency and won mayor again so he can get all of his benefits. And at the high regency on New Jersey Avenue, what did Catherine Graham did? The same thing as did Sammy Davis to Richard Nixon. This is my boy. He gave her a $75,000 tax credit at the expense of taxpayers when he was chairman of finance and revenue. March 20th, 1977, what happened? There's a, there's a shooting at the, uh, the district building. A council member is shot. They're luring him now. It's Marion Barry. And then next year he become mayor. Huh? A, so the Washington Post is right over there. Does Washington Post ever come out here and talk to people, do That's stories? That's the most racist uh, 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 newspaper. I mean, but, you know, the FCC, they're not going to do that because they do it on the radio and in television. Like the guy, when he said up there at the Academy, whatever, there was they having an award ceremony at the, uh, up in Hollywood. And he was talking about Trump, and they went straight to a commercial. That 9-11, that was Republican. They wanted that. George Bush said that Laura was in the White House. Laura said, that's a lie. I was on the Hill. Who was going to believe? And what he told his father, thanks, Dad. He's a CIA. And so he had connections. They said the night when Ronald, the, the night right, when Ronald Reagan got shot at the Hinckley Hotel. Oh, well, Hinckley was a Hilton. But anyway, what did he say? What did he say? Get that car out of here. And then that night, hey, hey, got on TV. The president is shot down the street, and I'm next in charge. And Nancy said, you're a liar. I'm the first lady. I'm next. But Johnson was caught by Lady Bird on the couch. But she so, didn't say, he didn't say anything. I'm, I'm glad we, we, we spoke to you. You, you, were the, you, you. you were the most interesting guy I've spoken to in a long time. Intriguing. Intriguing. Yes, sir. Well, I'm very glad you came to speak with us, Frank. I'm going to call you. I'm glad you gave me the time. Ah, I appreciate it. You, 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 there's more to come, but I can't tell you too much because the Lord says that there's more writing that's going to be on the wall. And not like Stevie Wonder said, very superstitious. Mm. Well, I appreciate you. I hope you run. I hope, Paul, my name is Paul. I'm thinking I'm running. I'm running. I hope you run for mayor. Damn, sit the hell. You think anybody, if, if any of your friends want to come talk to me, man, tell them to come over. I know people don't want to talk to. They see the camera, they get scared off. Find some of my girls with the cocktail pot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you my friend thank you sir thank you we're recording a, a show about the state of affairs in america and i came to this park because i want people to kind of get a sense of what's going on in this park i talked to frank and some hopefully some other people you want to talk to me for a minute so if you're a regular would you mind talking to me for a minute for the show please if you don't mind i'm paul reikoff i'm an army veteran and this is a this is a show about the state of affairs in america the great american democracy and it's called Angry Americans, because I think if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And there's a lot that folks are, I think, righteously angry about in this country right now. So I go around the country and ask people, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? And is there anything you're angry about? No, not really. Uh, your name and where are you from? I'm Michael. I'm from Washington, D.C. Uh, really, there's nothing I can be angry about because I've been homeless here for 10 years. 
and throughout the 10 years, this is my park where you see everybody around. I used to sleep on the grass in the center room. So, but what uh, focused on me was, you know, you keep yourself up, you know, and build, you know, build your ability to come around. People would come and give you society. Now, if you show your cameras around here, now we were not allowed on the grass during Monday through Friday because all these are office buildings. So when the office building come out, they want to have lunch out here in benches. So, so clear everybody out of here during the week. Right, that's right. So on a Sunday, we're here on a Sunday, and on a day like today, uh, people kind of can take back the park. Nobody's nobody we allowed. We allowed to do that on Saturday and Sunday. We allowed to do, come down. We go. But what happens in the? Is it Sunday night or Monday morning? What happens here in this? Park? Oh no, uh, what you have park police? They'll come. The police will come through and clear. That's people. right. Exactly. So, is it, has it always been like that in this? Yes, park? yes, yes, yes. Do you feel like it's changed at all since Trump has been president? Has it gotten more or less intense? No, no, it, it hasn't. Because one thing about it, uh, President Trump, he haven't, he have not came out and visited the homeless. So I cannot say that we are angriness about just because he have not came out to see. Because we have too many coalition groups that come and represent the homeless. So I assume that's why uh, this, the park police and et cetera and the Korean guy that I speak of, he had a license to come here every Sunday. He had a license and he's from South Korea. So I don't think it's anything about uh, President Trump. I mean, you know, I have nothing in my heart, but we're out here, what, um, Saturday and Sundays. And if you was here on yesterday, Saturday, you would see it would be more than this. And I just saw, I think some students were coming by. Right, we have students from, some of them come from Georgetown. Some even come from George Mason. Then sometimes we have some Howard sweatshirts. That's right. Then sometimes we have some that come from uh, the best colleges, Yale. And they come here because they want to help people who are... That's right, that, that uh, basically that can't help themselves. So I don't think, uh, you know, basically uh, we are angry about President Trump. Because all the homeless people have Catholic charity backing us up. I mean, so who's, and, and over to our right, for, the, for people who are listening, maybe about uh, 100 meters to our right, there's a line where folks are getting food. Sure, okay. Those people are getting food because basically a lot of them don't live in housing. And they live on the street. Some live in the alleys. Some live on the bridges. So what they're doing, they're preparing to take back whatever they need. That's why you see, I don't know what you see, uh, the pastor's coming now. You see him with the... Uh, so uh, when you see him pushing cots and et cetera around here, I mean, that's that's all they got. So you come here on a Sunday and you stop... I was in the military, so you're kind of stocking up, right? You stock up for the week and then and then you go out into the field and then you come back. And I, I did some work uh, you know, over the years with veteran homelessness and they do stand downs okay. where people would come in, get a haircut, get a shave. Well, we have haircut. We have haircut. The uh, Korean organization, they bring a haircut and et cetera. So, you know, as my point, as me, I, I would say that... Uh, Basically, I'm not uh, angry about because, you know, I play music and I play gospel music. Now, I came up on rap music because I was not born here. You know, I'm not a Washingtonian. Where, where were you born? I came from the Clay Hills of South Carolina. You know, I came from the Clay Hills of South Carolina. So my music and uh, my singing that I learned, I mean, I didn't have no degree, didn't go. So I played by ear. 
and I sing by ear. So when I came here and, uh, you know, saw what was going on, and like I said, you know, I, 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 I was homeless for 10 years. What brought you to D.C.? Why did you come here from South Carolina? Uh, the reason why I came from South Carolina because of my mother. At that time, she was ill, and, and I was much younger. I was much younger. Wait, when, 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 what year did you get to D.C.? I came to D.C. in 1989. Yeah. And so how, how, how has D.C. changed since 1989? Oh, since 1989? I've seen that because we have different mayors. See, since 89, I think we've had three, four different mayors. So then you have to give the mayor of D.C. You have to give her, uh, you know, credit responsible because she, you know, she allowed the homeless to come out on Saturday and, you know, Sundays. So a lot that the mayor could have did. So you got to look at the mayors, the four mayors before Mayor Bosner, you know. So all the mayors have been, all the mayors of D.C., they have been sticking strictly, heavily with the homeless. So I would say that basically uh, if, if you walk around, uh, I mean, you may find some people homeless that may have the negative. Lots of them don't want you to talk to them. That's right. You know, they'll say, no, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be on camera and et cetera. So uh, you have to deal with uh, psychology because we have students that be coming from, what, Yale? Then we have some that come from Princeton. And when they charter the bus to come here, I, I mean, you know, we, as homeless people, we conduct ourselves in the right way. So how did you, you said you were homeless for 10 years. How did you overcome that? How did you get through that? And now you're helping other people. You're you're like a community leader here, right? I mean, how did how did you do that? Uh, how I did that is because of I met uh, people that would be on my level that would accept me. You understand? If I make a change, right? If I make a change, and the, there's help out there, there's help and there's hope. So it's an environment of people that you see that just come and give you a bottle of water or a bologna sandwich or cheese. They're the one that's out here trying to help us. If, if uh, you know, the president or all of America was listening and they, they said to you, sir, because you're a subject matter expert, you're here on the ground, what do, what, what, what do homeless people in this park need? What's, what, 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 do they, what can they do to help? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, I would tell the federal government, you know, that basically uh, here in the district, because local government cannot do it by themselves. So if you get the funds from the federal government and deal with the mayor, with the local government, then just place people, you know, off the street into uh, the decent housing. You understand? Decent housing, uh, you, you know. Uh, There's a real lack of affordable, accessible housing. Sure, so that's what I'm saying. So if, if the mayor had more uh, funding from the federal government, then uh, it wouldn't be like this. It, you, you know, you're a, a wise and learned man. You've lived a, a, it seems like a very interesting and rich life. How, how, what does it say about America that this kind of epicenter of homelessness is a couple blocks away from the White House? Well, what I would say about that is because I look at the news and I look at, you know, et cetera, from other countries. And I can see on television that, there's homelessness over in foreign countries. So I would say just, just because that we only two blocks away from the White House, we know how to separate us. We know not to go that close as being homeless. Right. They have a park 
right across the street from the White House, called Lafayette Park. But we're not allowed there because Secret Service will, is right, eventually move you. So I would say, you know, basically, as long as we stay our distance away from the White House and the president give more funding to uh, the uh, district government of our mayor of the city, then a lot could be moved. Well, I did a, a, a piece a couple weeks ago about uh, the lack of public bathrooms in America. Okay. Where do people go to the bathroom when they have to go in your homeless here? Well, there's a McDonald's right behind. So uh, basically, you can't go in there because, you know, they have tours coming in and they only have one uh, stew, one urine. So uh, basically, uh, the homeless, even I, you know, before they started construction on this building here, the majority of would go behind that building because you don't see they have the what? They don't have the John Johns. Right. There's nothing. Right. But if you go down by the monument, yeah. yeah for the tourists. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And you, you go down to, you know, but uh, that's what I'm saying. Then you go up a, up a northwest, you know, different neighborhoods at parks, right. at parks right. where people go. I mean, even I noticed that uh, it, when you go up to uh, up up in Northwest, they have dog parks. They have they have dog parks up in Northwest. They have dog park where you go walk your dog. They can run and play, but yet they have a Jiffy John. You know, and the district government is paying for that because so they have so they have bathrooms for people at the dog parks. That's right, but not for the people here yeah, in Franklin Park. That's, so that's why we have to go behind, et cetera. You know? And so just to paint the picture for people who aren't watching, the listening, right? Now, what's really happening is like a whole bunch of white kids are coming in with bags. And it looks like they have oranges and stuff, right? So these are students, I assume, to come out here every Sunday and hand out food? Sure, from different uh, colleges, from different churches. and But the, most of the people in the park are black. Most of the kids coming in are white. Sure. So we don't discriminate because as you've been homeless, you want to accept whatever's been given to you. So you don't discriminate whether you whether you're from uh, what Nigeria, you know, whether you're from Afghanistan, whether you're from Houston, or whether you're even from El Salvador. You know, well, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your experience and your wisdom with us. And uh, I hope folks really hear what you have to say. It's very powerful, very powerful and very important. Okay, well, all the people that over the world, not only the United States of America, but I'm quite sure that you, you can uh, see what's happening on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and et cetera. So it's not only homeless here in the United States. It's all over the world. See, as we're finishing the interview, the skies open up and the sun is shining down on you, my friend. Okay. Good to talk to you, sir. I have, I have to go and help. Yes, sir. But, uh, Thank okay. you for all your leadership, okay. sir. I appreciate you. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh-oh, Frank's back. Okay. Frank's back. Yes, sir, Frank. What you got? What you got? Let me tell you something. Yes, sir. Yes. Frank's got one more thing. Now, you know I'm Richard Pryor's cousin. No, I don't know you're Richard Pryor's. How would I know that? Are you really Richard Pryor's cousin? No, I'm being honest with you. I'm being very honest. That's amazing. Yes. And my, I didn't find out until my uncle went up to um, New York to a funeral. And he came back and said, we're Richard Pryor's relative. Richard Pryor from D.C.? Aunt Margie's um, nephew. Is Richard Pryor from D.C.? I don't know where, I don't know where he's from. I know that, but he, he dropped that crack pipe. But anyway, he made things right. <laughs> but you know, 
that the president wears six depends? I did not know that. No. Because one just... Because he's full of shit? No, one can't absorb all of his shit. And he's walking around with that cotton candy hairstyle. Man, this crown is crazy. But it's Mason's guy. I'm glad you came back for that one, Frank. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, sir. So we're a block away from the White House now, Washington, D.C., This is the VA headquarters, Department of Veterans Affairs, over a $200 billion agency. This is the headquarters right here. The Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Robert Wilkie, his office is up here. And I want you to see something. In here are homeless people. Every time you come through here, right over around the corner, right by the metro station, are homeless people. And they camp out here. They live here. They breathe here. But... Every day, a cabinet-level secretary walks past homeless people outside his office. I think that's an issue that should make everybody angry. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, and homelessness is a damn good reason, in my view, to be angry, and how homelessness is happening in the shadows, in the backyard of our White House and our Department of Veterans Affairs. All right, check it out. It's the dog days of summer. If there was ever a terrible time to wear a dress shirt, it's right now in August. If you have to wear a dress shirt, you know what it's like. There's nothing fun about it. It feels like a straitjacket. It feels like you're wrapped in something incredibly uncomfortable, yet we wear them. And we wonder, why is no one making them better? Well, if you listen to this show, you know that we've got some good news. Some of you have tried. Others of you are thinking about it, but check them out. There is a better way. And that better way is Mizzen and Maine. Mizzen and Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable. You heard that right. You've been hearing about it week after week. Dress shirts that are actually comfortable. But how? But why? It's the fabrics. Mizzen and Maine shirts are made with performance fabrics. That means they stretch and move with you all day long. Now look, maybe you've been wearing a t-shirt. Maybe you're on vacation. You're thinking, oh, I'm not going to have to wear a dress shirt. You're going to have to wear a dress shirt. So check out Mizzen and Maine. Here's the other thing. Mizzen and Maine also donates lots of shirts to veterans, and they have totally changed the game. Superstar J.J. Watt wears them from the NFL. I've told you about that. So does golfing legend Phil Mickelson. You know who else wears them? Bill Simmons. Yep, the founder of The Ringer and the host of his own podcast. Well, he is also a fan of Mizzen and Maine, and Mizzen and Maine is a sponsor of his podcast, too. That's because Mizzen and Maine performs. Their company is headquartered in Texas which is important, and I'm proud to have them as a founding sponsor on this show. So show them some love. The shirts are wrinkle-resistant, and they are perfect for travel. They're comfortable on the plane. You can pull them out of your bag. You don't have to worry about ironing them. If you're lazy, you never have to iron them. Think about that. These shirts are easy. They work. They're comfortable, and you can wash them at home without paying the dry cleaner, which will save you a lot of money. So head on over to Ms. Maine's website at www.comfortable.af. Yes, that is their real website comfortable.af or you can go to mizzenandmain.com and use the code angryamericans at checkout to receive 10 bucks off a dress shirt now do it now get ready for the fall get ready for back to work or back to school whatever you need check out mizzen and maine it's never felt better to look your best Okay, it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony, whatever, into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. You know, my mother used to say, long time ago, whenever there would be 
any really cat catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers. Here's the deal. Every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. And this week, we're focused on homelessness. Homelessness is a solvable problem that's lost its sense of urgency. But hopefully, this show will remind you why it's still urgent. Roughly 84,000 Americans experience chronic homelessness on any given night. Meanwhile, roughly 40,000 veterans are also homeless in the very country they fought to defend, like the veterans I described outside the VA. These individuals face drastically reduced life expectancies and account for a huge public cost and emergency service usage. Now, I spent many years working to end veterans' homelessness. It was always a priority for us at IABA. We created and supported legislative and policy change, and we built a case management program that housed thousands of veterans nationwide over the years. But my very first internship when I was still in college was working to end homelessness in New York City. I had the amazing good fortune of working for the legendary advocate and MacArthur Foundation genius recipient, Roseanne Haggerty. Roseanne is the most important leader in the world on homelessness. I've been honored to have her as a mentor and as a friend, and I hope she'll join us on this show in the future. But Roseanne Haggerty has been leading the fight against homelessness for decades, and her team has a way for you to help. Built for Zero. Built for Zero is a rigorous national change effort that's working to help a core group of committed communities and veteran and chronic homelessness. It's coordinated by Community Solutions, the organization that Roseanne founded and leads. Built for Zero is a groundbreaking national effort. It supports participants in developing real-time data on homelessness, optimizing local housing resources, tracking progress against monthly goals, and accelerating the spread of proven strategies. It's the plan to end homelessness in America. And it's working. It's building on the momentum of their 100,000 Homes Campaign, a national movement that helped communities find homes for 105,580 homeless Americans in just four years. It's working because they have excellent leadership, a strong plan, and clear goals. And their goals are straightforward. Helping a committed group of U.S. communities do whatever it takes to end veteran and chronic homelessness. That's their goal, end homelessness. And it's possible. Their second goal is to create a tipping point to prove that success is possible, ultimately motivating all communities to end chronic and veterans' homelessness. And their method is pretty straightforward. They have a national campaign-style strategy. And their lean movement team is helping communities adopt best practices, implementing transparent data, engaging leadership from government, private, and philanthropic sectors in securing new resources for communities and getting rid of policy roadblocks. And they're connecting communities to one another through an online platform for innovation, knowledge capture, and group problem solving. This is like crowdsourcing homelessness. And again, it's working. More than 96,000 people have been housed by participating communities since January 2015 alone, including more than 65,000 veterans. Ten communities have measurably and sustainably ended veteran homelessness. 
and they are Rockford, Illinois, Arlington, Virginia, Montgomery County, Maryland, Fort Myers, Florida, Gulfport, Mississippi, Riverside, California, Norman, Oklahoma, Bergen County, New Jersey, Abilene, Texas, and Lake County, Illinois. Now, three communities have measurably and sustainably ended chronic homelessness, ended it entirely. Bergen County, New Jersey, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Rockford, Illinois. And more than 68 communities have now achieved real-time by-name data on their local homeless populations. And more than 39 participating communities are driving measurable reductions in homelessness month over month. It's an army fighting homelessness, and you can join. You can be a helper. Join Community Solutions and over 60 other communities across the country in the Built for Zero Collaborative. Go to joinbuiltforzero.org. That's joinbuiltforzero.org. I'll also link to it on angryamericans.us, and we'll put it out on Twitter and, and Facebook. There's also an annual Built for Zero lip sync battle, which is also amazing. And that alone should motivate you to check out the website. But look, we can actually end homelessness all together in a team effort. It's actually possible, especially if you help. And you can help by taking action. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. Big thanks to a few folks that helped make this episode happen. Frank and Michael, the two guys I spoke to in Franklin Park in D.C., too often the voices of the homeless in America are never heard. And I'm very grateful those guys spoke to me and for so many others. Mizzen and Maine, our founding sponsor of this show. I've told you about them. Check them out. Awesome people and awesome products. And again, if you're in Miami, they got a brand new store that just opened in Coral Gables. Check out that new store at the shops at Merrick Park in Coral Gables. They've also got stores in Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas, and in Oklahoma City. Check them out if you live near there or check them out online, mizzeninmaine.com. Big thanks to creative Chris Rosenthal, Mega Mercy Rich, and the excellent Eric Seanborn, who helped me record in D.C. He was out in the streets with me. Big thanks to our whole Rockstar team at Righteous Media. Bill Schultz, thank you again, sir, for producing this episode. You are a wizard. I'm grateful for all your audio magic. Oscar Mike, our awesome merchandise partners. Check out all the new designs at angryamericans.us now. Big thanks to the crew at Let's Get After It on Sirius XM POTUS Channel 124 especially Vicky, Kelsey, Christine, and Chris Cuomo. I will be hosting for Chris Cuomo in the days to come. And given the fact that Cuomo continues to be attacked by Donald Trump Jr. and Donald Trump Sr., I am definitely going to have Cuomo's back, and I hope you will too. The president continues to bomb away, and Cuomo will have plenty to say, I'm sure, in the days ahead. And I'll be guest hosting for him, which will be more interesting than ever, I am sure. And it's time for Thank a Listener. You know the deal. Every week, I thank a few angry Americans for listening. First up, Livin' To Do. I think he's from Arizona. He tweets it at Living Number Two Do. His bio says, My wife, FN Adorable, tells me I need a bio. So here it is. Informative, eh? Very witty, sir. Well, he was repping for angry Americans at work in one of our new Lightning Bolt t shirts. He actually posted a picture of it on Twitter, looking very sharp. He kind of looks like Bradley Whitford in Handmaid's Tale, which takes me to my second shout-out. Big thanks to Bradley Whitford, the actual Bradley Whitford, who I think lives in L.A. 
If you don't know, he's an amazingly talented actor who stars in the incredible new season of The Handmaid's Tale. He plays Commander Joseph Lawrence, and he is amazing. That whole show is amazing. And it was on my recommended action list a few weeks ago, and you must watch it. If you don't watch that show yet, you're wrong. Uh, but you probably know him from the West Wing. He played Josh Lyman, the White House Deputy Chief. He was also recently on Get Out. He's uh, an acting legend and a dedicated patriot and an activist, and he's a fan of the show. Spoiler alert, I'm hoping he will be a guest here in the fall, so stay tuned. But thank you, Mr. Whitford. Much appreciated. Next up, Amy Joe from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She tweets it at Bridges1129. Um, my wife, my amazing wife, Lauren Rykoff, had tweeted about our last episode with JT Lewis, and she tweeted, I'm speechless. Uh, I cried a little on the subway this morning on my way to work listening to this week's episode of Angry Americans. It's heartbreaking, inspiring, and one that I beg you to listen to. Um, that's from my wife. And Amy Joe tweeted back at us and said, I feel that way after every episode. So thank you, Amy Joe. I love me some Pittsburgh. I've got family out there. I grew up going there and going to Pirates games at Three Rivers. And I was actually honored to meet and know Bill Cower, the Super Bowl winning coach of the Steelers. He was on the board with me at IAVA and has been a real mentor. I hope he will come on the pod one day, too. Next up, L Now, location unknown, tweets it at prod slash. Bio says, retweet equals endorsement. Stuff I like, stuff I don't like. Opinions are my own. Now part man, part pastry. I seek vengeance on a cruel and uncaring God. A very strange bio prod slash, but you had this to say. You said, Paul Rykoff, Angry Americans, what an amazing interview with J.T. Lewis. More Republicans need to listen to him. More Democrats need to listen to him, too. You are right. And I hope everyone, if you haven't heard it, will go back and check that episode from last week with J.T. Lewis. It's been getting a lot of attention and a lot of support. We're also getting a lot of support from Andy Wallace from Davis, California. Thank you, Andy, who tweets at ACM Wallace. Bios says photos, music, and sometimes opinions. Who also is on Instagram at ACM Wallace. Just picks. No politisuck. Hoping that I make today better than yesterday. And yes, the mustache is real. Uh, all right, Andy. Appreciate you. You sent us a tweet and flagged something especially awesome and something especially relevant to this show. Andy wrote, Hey, angry Americans, some progress on one issue. Thanks in part to a new San Francisco supervisor. Matt Haney, who tweets it at Matt Haney SF. Now, here's the deal. The San Francisco Examiner is reporting some very big news that I know if you listen to this show, you want to know about. San Francisco is launching a 24-hour toilet pilot in Tenderloin, Soma, and the Castro. Check this out. The Pit Stop program provides monitored public restrooms to help keep urine and feces off the street. It's amazing. This month, San Francisco began a months-long test of the effectiveness of having three public toilets open 24 hours, seven days a week. The pilot program is going to cost $300,000, and it's the result of pressure from city officials, residents, and community groups calling for an increased service to combat feces and urine on the downtown streets. Now, I'm sure the pressure from some of you on this show also helped. Now, here's the statement from Public Works spokesperson Jennifer Blott. She said three of our pit stops will provide 24-hour service beginning Monday, August 12th. The pilot is expected to last through the end of November. Pit Stop is a public works public toilet program that began in 2014 at three locations in the Tenderloin. It has grown to 25 locations in 13 neighborhoods. 
The toilets are staffed by attendants who are provided under city contract by the nonprofit Hunters Point Families. And uh, currently, most of the toilets close by early evening. But the new 24-hour service started this month at a stationary toilet in the Tenderloin near Boddicker Park at Eddy and Jones Street. Uh, at a mobile toilet station on 6th Street and Jesse Street in Soma, and at a stationary toilet at Castro and Market Streets. If you don't know San Francisco, Soma or South of Market is a big warehouse-filled area. It's got Mission Bay and South Beach, which is where uh, the Giants play baseball at Waterfront AT&T Park, which is an amazing stadium, which you should check out. But Supervisor Matt Haney, who pledged to open 24-hour toilets, successfully advocated for funding in this year's city budget to make it a reality. He worked with Public Works to choose the locations uh, for the pilot in the Tenderloin and Soma, which he represents. So hooray for Supervisor Matt Haney. You are our favorite politician in America this week, sir. Hooray. Please run for higher office. Haney said, we hope to demonstrate that there's a need for 24-hour restrooms throughout the Tenderloin, Soma, and Civic Center 365 days a year. That's what Haney said. He said it's an issue of basic human rights and human dignity and will keep our streets cleaner and safer. You're right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Haney. He said, I will be fighting to make sure this pilot is a success and that we expand beyond these sites and in this time frame. And we've got your back, Supervisor Matt Haney. Thank you, sir. You are giving us hope in government at a time when it's pretty hard to come by. And speaking of the streets, finally, since we were out in the streets of D.C. this episode, I have a big thank you to Citizen Cope. Citizen Cope, he lives in Brooklyn now, but he's from D.C., and he tweets at Citizen Cope. If you don't know who he is, the Washington Post called him D.C.'s finest export since Marvin Gaye. And I think that's a bullseye. Citizen Cope, a.k.a. Clarence Greenwood, is an incredibly talented musician and songwriter, I played his legendary song, Bullet in a Target, in the last episode, and he's a fan. And I hope, I really hope, he'll be a guest on this show in the future. And he got his musical start in D.C., so he's a perfect addition to our interviews earlier in the show from Franklin Park in D.C. Cope played in the streets in D.C., and I've actually seen him play in D.C. myself. His new album, Heroin in Helicopters, is out now, and it's awesome. Check this out. Heroin in Helicopters actually draws its title from a warning that Carlos Santana shared with Cope one night backstage at the Fillmore. He told Cope, stay away from the two H's, heroin and helicopters. He said, because all too often they prove fatal for musicians and celebrities. And that message resonated with Cope. And he saw parallels with a broader culture fixated on shortcuts over self-improvement, on mass production over quality, on greed over empathy. So definitely check out Citizen Cope and check out Heroin and Helicopters. I love the whole thing. But if you have to pick one track to start, check out The River. It's so good, especially for our times. Somehow 
So the river also gives me a chance to offer you a debate of the day. One that's perfect for summer. Now, I use these on SiriusXM when I host, and I used this one last week to help recognize summer, and I want to share it with you guys, too. The debate of the day is something I've offered before. This show is all about unity, but the debate of the day is a little different. You must choose. There is no third-party option. You must choose one or the other. There is no third-party option. There is no Steve Forbes. There is no Ross Perot. There is no Howard Schultz. I've offered cheese versus chocolate, the legendary waffles versus pancakes, beer versus wine, and even Superman versus Spider-Man. The debate of the day is something you can debate at your dinner table, in the car with your kids, at the beach with your crew, or around the campfire if you're on vacation in the next couple of weeks. And this week, as we roll into summer, I offer you ocean, lake, or river. Ocean, lake, or river. If you could only choose one, which would you choose? That's our debate of the day, or maybe our debate of the episode. Ocean, lake, or river. Which one are you going to choose and why? Use the hashtag AngryAmericans. Let me know. Thanks for playing. And as always, thanks to my family, my amazing wife and two boys. My son's fourth birthday is this weekend. And in our world, that's a national holiday. But every day, I'm so grateful and honored to be his dad. I always think that one day when he's older and maybe when I'm gone, he'll go back and listen to these podcasts and I hope he's proud and I hope he knows that all the work I did, especially the advocacy, was to make the world a better place for him and his little brother. So this week especially, my thanks to you, Ryder. Thank you for being my inspiration and for blessing me, your mom, and everyone in orbit with your magical existence. Thanks, buddy. And next week, I'll tell you all where we went for his birthday. I'm not going to tell you yet, just in case he does listen to this podcast. Maybe when I'm sleeping and after episodes of Beetlebugs, he finds a way to download podcasts. He's a smart kid, and I never underestimate him. And I never underestimate you, our incredible listeners. My deepest thanks to you for tuning in. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. And if you're on an Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. We only have 179 reviews right now. That means many of you have thought about it, but you haven't actually done it yet. So please go ahead, leave a review, and sound off. And check out angryamericans.us if you're new to the show or headed on vacation and you need some good shit for your driving or flying time, go back and check out the past episodes. We have videos of every single interview, including the one I did on drugs with Ethan Nadelman. I love that one. Many of you have told me you love it too, so check it out and check out all the others. And definitely keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. Next week, I'll be back with a fresh new interview from another important, inspiring, or iconic American, and it's one you're not going to want to miss. And football season is coming, so get ready for that. Stay tuned, subscribe, and share, and we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week. And remember, it's okay to be angry, even in the summer. And no, you're not alone because we're all a little angry, but that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and enjoy the summer. Summer.